Cinema Swirl! Hello everyone once again, and no, they will never make another terrible game called Skate, because it's episode number 38! Hello everyone, it's me, your old pal Kevin here, alongside my OTP Sam, as we continue our guided tour of stars' homes throughout Hollywood, California, in the United States of USA. I'm talking about movies, and I'm talking to my main man Sam. How are you doing, Sam? I'm alright. No, I wouldn't classify Skate 1 to 3 as a movie, but I'm glad we're going to be reviewing all of those games on this episode. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, your Let's Plays are feature length, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it still counts. I like the Let's Plays where there's just heavy breathing and no description whatsoever of what's going on. Yeah, that's my that's my favourite kind of Let's Play. That's your style, I'm assuming, you know. I mean, I'm not going to talk while I'm playing Skate. I've got to concentrate on those sick kickflips. No, and the odd time something will be said, it will be something, you know, very, very authoritative and very, very definitive statement. Yeah. It does the ollie with the skateboard. Yeah. You oh, know, whatever. There's Paul Rodriguez. He's going to give me a mission. Wow, Paul Rodriguez. P-Rod is he a big is enough B-Rod's there big enough star to be in skate and not Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 wow I'm sure things are on the up and up for him <laughs> Vans was a hard no that was a it was a, a hard no from Vans <sighs> He, he said it was a soft pass, that but we just, know it was, just, a, it was a hard no. Was, all right, let's 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 get into, you know, cinema swell and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, see, this is what happens when you, you lift under the rock and you were picking at the scab. You were dissecting my rhyme at the start. As mm. we know, I say the rhyme and we move on. You're not allowed to talk about <laughs> it because otherwise feelings get hurt. This is Christmas 96 all over again, I swear to God. Sam, today we're talking about seminal movie. We're talking about ominous, futuristic, and highly synthesized movie. We're talking about everyone's favorite movie, Ridley Scott's one and only Blade Runner. Now, I did have to check the notes. We are not reviewing the proprietary app that is definitely not a ripoff of Temple Run that Wesley Snipes had to release in the Blade universe to try and recoup some of those <laughs> Taxes that he didn't pay. This is a different Blade Runner. Sam, I gotta ask you off the get-go, have you heard about this movie? And why have you not seen it, for fuck's sake? Now, you were goofing around there about the film Blade. Yeah. In a, For a long time, legitimately in my mind, I was not sure which film was Blade and which was Blade Runner. They kind of merged into one film in my mind. And have you seen Blade? No. All right, because if you had seen Blade and still didn't know... <laughs> and I still thought it was Blade Runner. No. So I, I know I know of this film. Yeah. I know who's in it. Who's in it, Sam? It's our boy, Harrison Ford. Harris in Fjord, once yeah. again, making a big splash here on Cinema Swirl. Of Indiana Jones and Star Wars fame, so far. Yeah. So <laughs> um, far. You just told me that Ridley Scott directed it. He did Alien and Alien Sir. Yeah, that's so Wrigley Scott, obviously a very uh, big name here on Cinema yeah, Swirl. Yeah. You've enjoyed the, the works of Wrigley Scott so far, haven't you? I have. They've been very Wrigley. I've enjoyed them. They're good. So sometimes people say his movies are quite um, quite difficult to penetrate, very obtuse, quite almost like Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And... I know that there was a new one released a year ago, two years ago. Oh, when you mean a new one, you mean a new Blade, a new Blade Runner. Runner. Not a new movie by Wrigley Scott. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, there was a new Blade Runner. It was called like Blade Runner, and I want to say 2048. Oh, you're so close. That's the game on my phone. Oh, Sam, that's really sad. 2048, the game? The little... No, it's, it's 20. I know 2048, but this yeah. is 2049. Uh, um, yeah, I know there was a new one, and it had... Um, What's his face? Uh, one of the Ryans. Uh, is he Ryan? 
Ren- he is Ryan. Not Reynolds. No. Oh, man, imagine, though. I mean, money on the table, guys. Yeah. Hollywood actor Ryan Reynolds in Blade Runner. Whoa. If it's good for the goose, get Ryan Gosling? No, that's not the... No, no, it's yeah. wrong. It's not. It was actually Hollywood actor Ryan Gander we were looking for. <laughs> uh, that was who's actually starring alongside Harrison Ford. So, uh, I obviously want to, to get into plot and stuff like that, but I just wanted to ask you, because this is definitely one of those movies where drunken men insist on telling people how fucking great they are. Mm. And I, I have been that guy. And I will tell you, I have unsuccessfully shown this to around three people when I was in university. Kind of go, oh, it's so great because it's got synthesizers and it's all noir and it's, oh, it's so good. And, and you know, by the time you're yeah. doing that, people are sold. And every single time I've shown this to someone, <laughs> they've come away being underwhelmed by it so my question to you is has someone been on your case to watch this movie was it me and did i do the song no no one's done the kind of andy bernard type thing that you were just doing there um (laughs) i have immediately spoiled one of the most seminal soundtracks for a movie ever before we get into it because you're just going to think of Andy Bernard now. Great. Yeah, um, that's not... Uh, that's never happened to me. I, I mean, I, I, I know of it. I know people like it. No one's pressured me into watching it. Not even you. Your, your brother feels like someone who'd be into this movie. I don't know, I was just like pitching together this brother. Probably. Which is like... You know, your brother who's in headcanon is, I'm like most men. You know, that's how I kind of view his his, mm. his tastes in media and whatnot. He, he's surely seen The Blade Runner. I'm sure he has. He was he was big into the Alien films. Okay. Into things like X-Files. I know that's not related to this, but it kind of gives you a broader picture of the man. You're, you're, in, the, you're in the same arena. No, no. You know, you're, you're in the uh, same zip code. Stargate. You know okay. There, we're, love we're, Stargate. We're drifting away now. Um, um, you know. Uh, like Warhammer. That's not a film. You, you know what? I'm going to stop you there because I've got an image of your brother in my mind at the moment, and I don't want that to be taken down too many more notches. Okay. I, I feel if you continue on this, this, <laughs> this monologue, this soliloquy is going to end with me thinking that someone's got bad taste, or I think they've just got all right taste. So fair enough. All right. Let's put a let's put a pin in it there for now. Hey, why don't we go check out that big bag of mail? You know, uh, mail bag. That's the one. Welcome to the mailbag. Um, this email comes in. Uh, now, the, if you want to send us an email, for it's... fuck's sake, honestly. <laughs> Does this ever happen when people get a divorce and they lo- and they lose custody and then they look over and go, "You're doing a rubbish job." He's that kid's going to try to be a right fucking freak the way you're going on. All right, all right. Let's do this. Um, welcome to the mailbag. This email has come in to Cinema Swirl at gmail.com that's cinemaswirl at gmail.com and this comes in from Elaine Gregerson 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 alright um, that does sound like a name that someone would make up to the police like what's your name John John what and you're outside Greg's uh, Greg Gregerson <laughs> okay you and Cornish Pass you're coming down to the station because I don't believe either of your stories are what's going on so someone with a fake name has written hello lads um, we're Someone not- with a with a steak bake name is written in, <laughs> and they've got. <laughs> um, hello, lads. We're not usually ones to write in, but we thought you might appreciate this example 
of the way in which Cinema Swirl has embedded itself into, and quite frankly, enhanced our married life. Wow, and they're not to the point now they're at the married life where they're writing emails together, like... Oh, well, no, 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 actually, now I'm looking at it. It's from Elaine and Mark. So they have, they, but they've implied from the writing of this, and they've taken the plural singular, mm. we, uh, so this is assuming, you know, as the Spice Girls were saying, nine-nine, when to become one... <laughs> Gonna send an email alternating words between our two <laughs> devices. That I assume that's what they've done here, right? Because that's fucking incredible. Yeah, they've started up a Google Sheet and they're kind of doing um, consequences, kind of just typing one word at a time and hoping it will make sense. They've done a bang-up job of this one. I'm telling you, are you guys uh, the first ever married captains of the England football team? Because those are some hashtag couple goals I'm seeing right there. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring this email home. Let's do this. Right. <laughs> like all the cool kids, we were sat watching Mastermind last Friday night. The first contestant specialist subject was the Alien films. Yes, we exclaimed. Films. None of your art history, extended works of someone we'd never heard of, or routes to anywhere in mainland Britain by road from Letchworth nonsense. Proper questions. All right, so they're happy. Film question, Aliens. Started out well. Couple of questions about aliens. Tricky one about Alien Covenant. One about the cat. And then John Humphreys asked the nice man, in Alien, what is the name of the science officer on the Nostromo played by Ian Home? (laughs) I know! (laughs) Without hesitation, and loud enough for our neighbours to hear, we yelled out in unison, Colin, come! Sadly, (laughs) Mr. Alien Films didn't give the right answer. Said he was called Ash or something. Weird. What a freak! (laughs) In all seriousness, we did that crying laughing thing for a good five minutes and proceeded to shout Colin come at each other at random moments for the rest of the evening. Romance isn't dead. We love the podcast. Been with you from the start. Always excited to get a new swirl. Tiffin sales have gone up exponentially in our local area. Hope things are going well for you both. Thanks for all the laughs. All the best, Elaine and Mark Gregerson. Well, thank you for the come email. That was really, <laughs> um, you know, appreciated. I, I have received... This is going to sound weird now, Sam, okay? But I think this is kind of like, you ever, you know, like when they're doing Disney, it's like, wow, I didn't realize this character was quite popular, you know? And mm. there's a lot of characters in the Cinema Swirl universe. There's the character of Kevin Mann and the character of Sam Chaplin, yeah, yeah. the character of Mark Kermode. But no one has quite endeared themselves into the, the <laughs> hearts and minds of the Cinema Swirl fan base, quite like Colin Cum. No. Who I have also received, as well as that, mm. two separate, independent Colin Cum themed emails since our last episode dropped. Right. Now that's saying something. Is it the time of year? You know, when <laughs> people say seasonal affect disorder, it's different things coming. It's 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 coming home. You know, it's that time of year. <laughs> it's Colin coming home. It is. I'm glad he's um, a regular feature of the show, even if he is an upsetting image both to say and to envision oh, in your yeah, mind. Oh yeah, totally. Like sometimes I worry that like. Maybe you know, I'm not doing anything with my life and I've not got really any legacy. But the fact that a married couple are shouting Colin come at each other because of something I've been involved in just makes me happy. You know, it warms my cockles. You know what it is, Sam? It's reasons like this why my idea for a dry erase board tombstone really needs to come out. Because, <laughs> like, I wouldn't say, oh, put that on your tombstone, Sam. But I would say, pop it on now. And if nothing changes between now and then... Well, then you've got a good tombstone headline there, haven't you? You're yeah. set. You don't want to forget it now and then be like, oh, let's think about it when we're sad because he's died. No one yeah. wants that. Sam Chaplin, 1991 to, let's face it, 2020. <laughs> Colin Cunn. <laughs> okay, so we've got another question here from Kevin Poole. 
who asks, if you guys could replace any movie with the Muppets, but keep one of the human actors, which movie would you pick and which actor do you keep? Oh, easy peasy. Absolutely easy peasy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say good, the bad, the ugly, and the uh, the non-Muppet will be Clint Eastwood. Everyone else is a Muppet around him. Because yeah. think about that performance and you know, that real serious voice, and everyone's a Muppet. It'd be great. And him pointing a gun in a Muppet's face, or like a Muppet <laughs> like sticking a gun right up to his head, and him being like, God damn it, this Muppet's got me. I really think the Muppets would do a bang-up job as Doc and Marty in Back to the Future. I think keep them as Muppets and yep. just have Biff as a human. <laughs> Everyone else Muppet, just Biff is like a, a human. Yeah, because Biff is like not intelligent enough to deal with real humans. He can only deal with puppets until then. And I'm just saying, another thing I'll say for Clint Eastwood is that he's proven he can handle an off-screen character with the empty chair representing <laughs> Barack Obama. You know, Because obviously when you're doing the Muppetry... You know, the Muppetry, I assume, is, is acting with Muppets. They're not there, much like President Obama. Where were you in the years of 2012? Where were you, Barack? If you don't know what we're talking about, please YouTube Clint Eastwood Empty Chair. It's phenomenal to watch. Which is the debut, this is the name of his solo bluesgrass album, <laughs> Clint Eastwood, The Empty Chair. <laughs> so we've got some Facebook questions now. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. <laughs> These are some quick-fire Facebook, quick questions, quick-fire questions from Facebook. And you know they are because Sam is pointing to every corner bang, of bang, the bang, room. Bang. Yeah, yeah. quick-fire, bang, bang. This one comes in from Ryan Palmer. I'm going to take the lead on this. I'm going to nail this straight away. What does OTP stand for? Now, new listeners might have heard us say, oh, it's my OTP and all that kind of thing. And they'll go, oh, I've not listened to the earlier episodes. I don't know what that means. Oh, I don't want to listen to the earlier episodes. Yeah, fuck that shit. I just want what's here and now, right? Look, you, 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 you go after Cinema Throw the same way you go after a carton of milk in the shop. You don't go for the old ones. You go for the freshest one because everything else is poison. Exactly. <laughs> Those old episodes, poison. Absolute. Don't touch them. Ugh. Ugh. God. OTP, of course, stands for Old Timey Prospector because we're mining... For cinema gold here on Cinema Swirl. And in my case, I am actually mining for literal gold. Yeah. (laughs) But Sam, I've got um, a unique proposition for you. I I have many propositions. Some could say I'm a a man of prospects or a prospector, if you will. But I have reason to believe, Sam, that there may or may not be golds, legitimate golds, in those them there hills over there. All right. So just so you know, them 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 hills over them there. Hills over there. There may be gold in them there hills. <laughs> um, Thank you for listening to my presentation on gold. Your work is nice TED talk there. Um, <laughs> those hills over there. Is there them gold ones. in them? Let's them explore ones. that. Let's explore it. Yeah, a little PowerPoint. I went to find gold in them there hills. What I found was something else. Now, I've got a, a question here from Joe Merrick. I think this would be a good question for you. Are there any events or periods in your life that you think would make a good movie? Any cinematic moments in your life that you would want captured on the silver screen? Oh, I mean, like, there's obviously the piss story. I mean, that's quite a, you know, you pissing on the man. you three-act story out of that? Yeah, in the same way that uh, Hollywood actor Ryan Reynolds was able to be in a coffin for three acts, I think I could be three (laughs) acts of needing a wee. And I mean, the last act would be me doing the wee. I do actually have, you know, we're not in Halloween anymore, Spooky Swirl was last episode, but I do have 
I have an otherworldly story that I could tell that might fit into this. Okay. So way back in the day when I was in university and I suffered from anxiety, as I still do, I used to have the old panic attacks in the morning. So yeah. if I had any, I would eat breakfast and then I would get sick pretty much. Like pretty much every morning for around two years, this would happen. Mm-hmm. Awful stuff. And I was very, very nervous because I was going in for a big exam. So all I had that morning, I couldn't eat any food. I just had a big glass of orange juice. And that was all I had in my very uppy tummy. And mm-hmm. I was driving in my car into the exam and oh no panic attack behind the wheel of a car and I was going to get sick so I was very careful managed to get sick between my legs and not get any sick on me (laughs) but I did get Sam in that part a big old orange patch on the chair right and I tried to wipe it off but it was there I had a bit of an odd stain in the middle of my seat on the driver's side then going forward now several Mm. years later i moved to glasgow i know what you're going to think are you going to talk about the year 2010 the year we had the big freeze you bet your ass i have you remember (laughs) sam the big freeze they cancelled the christmas market in lincolnshire that year it was a big it was a big freeze wasn't it it was a it was one of the biggest it was a big freeze not just literally but also figuratively in the sense of christmas themed goods and services were literally frozen that market was frozen as Mm. were the bank accounts of those people who were hoping to sell reindeer dick sausages or whatever it is <laughs> so anyway i was living in glasgow at the time and i still had the same the same car right the car mm. that i got sick in but i lived up a hill in glasgow on the west end and it was very very difficult to get your car up there and because of the big freeze and we were in glasgow where the yeah. sun comes up at 10 to 1 in the afternoon and goes back down again at half past two we were we were in ice for essentially three months, it felt like. All the way right. from November, all the way through until nearly the February it was. It was thawing at that point. My car was literally encased in a block of ice. Mm. And it was very, very scary. Because I couldn't open the doors. I couldn't even see inside. There was so much ice surrounding my car. Yeah. And finally what happened, when the, the thaw finally came, and I peeked in the window, and I was absolutely terrified. Because what had actually happened was that a mold had grown and taken over the entire inside of the car. I'm talking about a very vibrant, terrifying, and light-colored mold had penetrated all the upholstery. And I was, couldn't, what happened? Was it space ice? Why would this happen? (laughs) And I looked in very, very carefully. And do you know what happened? Where the mold had grown from? That original high-intensity anxiety vomit, the highly nutritious orange vomit, which had obviously not been digested properly and provided a medium, and then the the the, the insulation and the, the water from the ice had provided the perfect environment for my anxiety to take physical manifestation form yeah. and try to destroy me, starting with my car, which I used to go to the shops. And I think that would make a good movie. I think, yeah... If we get to that point and then the, the mouldy car takes on a life of its own. And if it's, the, I thought it was going for the ignition next, it would start up and go to, to the shops itself. Yeah. This is like a Herbie fully loaded situation, but much more sinister. It is. It's yeah. like a Day of the Triffids type situation, except I'm not taking anything for granted. I knew it was an issue straight away, and I, and I sold the car very quickly thereafter. All right. Thank you for all your questions into cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's facebook.com forward slash cinema swirl at twitter and on facebook at cinema swirl at gmail.com thank you very there we much go. blade runner sam i gotta ask you before we delve into this yeah, yeah. couple of questions number one the plot of blade runner what is it tell it to me tell it to me now i genuinely have no idea no idea i mm, now my <sighs> what is it what even is a blade runner someone does he have a 
sword. No. So that's not the blade. I mean, do you even know any of the imagery of this movie? Like, what do you know where it's kind of set? What the kind is of is he kind vibe of running is? on the cover? I've not even looked at the cover. Is he running? <laughs> kind of running. Well, no, he's, he's running. Not. He's not. He's a Blade Runner. <laughs> You're thinking of the Fugitive. That's Harrison oh, Ford that's running the, on the cover. Right. Blade Runner. Well, I, I've seen the trailer for the newer Blade Runner, and it's all futuristic, and um, Jared Leto's in it. Yeah, inscrutable. He's all kind of scary looking. He's transformed into that role. He has. He's lost himself As he in it. he does with every role. He only um, had like four lines in it, but even still, lost. But he was just sending out blades to all the cast to like freak them out. So you you don't know what you don't know what the, the movie's about at I all, think do you? My mum let something slip when <laughs> when I mentioned that we were doing Blade Runner. Yeah. She said something about like I think it's got something to do with age. 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 I think it's got some I can't remember what she said, but something about like not living past a certain age. Yeah, no, that's that true. A limit. That, that is in there. Yeah. Right. That is, what an odd thing for your mother to spoil. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, the one where, you know. Oh, I'm yeah, like, the one with one of, one of these mechanics that goes alongside around eight more. Yes. So I wonder if, here's my theory. Yeah. Based on that spoiler from my mum, there is a, do they start killing people after they get to a certain age? Now, I think you're mixing this up now with another movie where oh. it's like with the person, yeah, you reach a certain age and you have like a light that shines in your hand and then you get taken away. And that's, again, that's, that? Logan's run, that's Logan's run, not this movie. That's what I thought this was. It's not. It's not that. I, Look, Sam, you know that Tiddly Scott... that? No! Tiddly Scott like, wouldn't uh, do yeah, something yeah, like that. that. When my mum said that, I was like, ah, uh, yeah, it's the one with the, you can't live past like 30 or something and they no that's you. not it that's not it well, what the fuck no. is this it's different to that it involves it? blade runners doing their job right logan's run he's running yeah blade the film blade he's got a blade i know what i would say there's i would be lying <laughs> if i said there's no running in this there's at least one right. or two brisk jobs he's a runner. <sighs> does he go on, <laughs> does he go on blade runs does he like no. deliver blades okay this this is obviously is a blade delivery man your requirements finding out if you know anything does he work about for this dollar movie. shave club no he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us seamlessly into our sponsor for this episode i'm just being silly that's just wishful thinking it's all uh, that is it's not even silliness so come on now so you don't know anything about the plot of this movie i'm gonna say one word and it might it might ring true a replicant? Like a clone? No. Never mind. It's fine. It's replicant. okay. You, God, I'm surprised you did, because like, I was going like, to assume that, oh, you know, this movie's penetrated the zeitgeist and it's everywhere. It's referenced here and there. It looked but, all kind of deserty in the trailer for the new one. Yeah, that's the new one. This is very right, much not a deserty movie. Okay, the only thing I will say about this replicant. movie before we go in is there's a lot of controversy about different versions of the movie. We'll get into a little bit afterwards because it was a movie where the production was a little bit troubled. Yeah. There was a movie which the studio released and there's a version which Diggly Scott released later on. <laughs> there was then also a, a final cut. Yeah. I was just wondering when you pop to the dvd shop yeah, yeah. what version have you got i've got whichever one is on sky movies i'm assuming that's director's cut or final cut then yeah yeah all i'll say is if you're watching this and harrison ford starts narrating it although some people view that version as being good many people would view that the version you're watching is incorrect so should there be any narration there shouldn't be narration right if there is narration i've got the bad version you've got 
Apparently, you know what? I've never watched the version with narration. A friend of mine mm. swore by the version with narration. Okay, but, so, but this is this a is controversial one of those, cut. Yeah, like Mark Kermode's done a whole movie length documentary about this. It's one. It's Fucking one of them hell. movies. You know what right. I mean? So there is there's tasting notes that go with this movie, so to speak, if you know what I mean. Okay. So just be careful. You might be opening this bottle of movie before the vineyard thinks you should. You know what I mean? Yeah. I assume you got the wine analogy. That's all right with you? Yeah. It's That's just... why they make you taste it before you they pour it. Exactly. It, it's the type of thing <laughs> in where... In case it has Harrison Ford in it. Much like there are many different versions of Pepsi. Yeah, Pepsi, yeah. We're talking Pepsi Max, Pepsi Ultimate, Pepsi Neon, <laughs> Crystal Pepsi, Kingdom yeah. of the Lost Pepsi. You mm-hmm. know, there's different versions of Pepsi. There's different versions of Blade Runner. And obviously, some people like the version of Pepsi with narration. I find it surplus to requirement. Obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tss, is a fizzy black sweet liquid. Go, 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 go. Yeah, you don't need 750 mils of this, do you? Go, go, go. You know, it's it's nice, but surplus to requirements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So be aware, be view conscious. Okay. Be a, be a smart watcher. <laughs> All right. Are you excited for this movie? I, think I mean, do so. you even know what genre we're coming into here? I'm guessing sci-fi. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right by sci-fi. The font is a dead giveaway for the sci-fi. Yeah, it looks like a sci-fi movie, and the trailer for the new one looked a bit sci-fi-y. And Squidgely Scott, he's mostly known for for the sci-fi as well. Yeah, you know, he's a sci-fi guy. So, I I mean, I'm just, I'm again, I'm kind of curious to see what this is. Well, I'm, I'm very excited for you to see what it is. I thought it was the one where they kill you if you get too old. Fucking hell! You know, I'm gonna Obi-Wan it. What you said there is true from a certain point of view. But it might not necessarily be the straight-up main driving force of this movie. It's not the way that Ridley uh. Skyfi wants you to view this movie, if you know what I mean. So right. uh, that's not the main thrust of it. It is an element of it, I would say. Okay. So I'm, I'm perplexed, I'm confused, but I'm interested. I'll be honest, people might be kind of going, Kevin, you're not pitching this movie up as much as you can. I need to go in dry, you know? I think you should go in dry. And also, as well, it's a movie where I'm not 100% sure about it. I was very passionate about <laughs> it as Sorry, a kid. I just realised that going dry is not the phrase that I No. <laughs> That is not going the phrase. Was the one not going go go blind? Yeah, I'm not going to pre-moisten you. I'm not going to chew your food for you before you you, you have your meal, Sam. But this yeah. is a movie where honestly I'm not 100 sure where I lie on. I mean, I've I historically have loved this movie, but it was a movie that was very much a movie I loved when I was in my 20s. Mm. As it stands, when that new Blade Runner came out, it did make me kind of question a lot of the stuff that I liked about the first one, and whether or not it's just kind of, not so much that I love the movie, but more that I love the setting and the scene and the ambiance and okay. actually the vibe of the movie more than actually the movie itself. Movie. Some people find this movie dreadfully boring. I'll prepare myself for that. Yeah, so all yeah. I'll say is that one of the reasons why it had a narration is because it was viewed that some people found this movie to be a bit difficult to follow. Right, now, so the narration was to help you out. It was to help you out. So maybe you can make up your own narration in your head as you're going along. So Harrison Ford's there like, hey, listen, and then tells you to <laughs> some shit. Let's go do a cinema swirl. We 
just come back from Figley Scott's very famous, beloved, and incredibly beautiful Blade Runner. Sam, initial gut reaction. Riddle Scott has done a great <laughs> job here. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. Yeah? You yeah. had a good time? Yeah. Were you enthralled? Were you finding those two hours go by quickly? Did it go by uh, long? How did you feel? I think they went by pretty quick. Yeah? It didn't feel like it dragged. And you know how I feel about long... I mean, this isn't a long movie. It's like two hours. But for me, peak movie is an hour and a half. I in my head had this thing that this was a two hour 40 kind of thing like deceptively long like terminator 2 mm. often kind of like let's put it on then it's like oh man actually you know we've got, we've got other things to do today I, I may have come away from this thinking that the movie is simply not to everyone's taste in terms of pace pace mm. taste i had no issue with the pacing i think that a couple of hours flew by oh man i'm really glad you enjoyed that that's very very good well let's get into this then so blade runner based on of course philip k dick his very seminal novel do androids dream of electric sheep no they don't they dream of unicorns mate duh fucking <laughs> uh, obviously there's a couple of things that struck me from watching this one again number one is that we talked about how much akira was very influential and we find that hmm. akira's fingerprints were all over everything much like the child who had eaten the jam with his hands the fingerprints were everywhere and very noticeable i must say i felt that this was in the few movies where the fingerprints of this were on akira you know what i mean yes it, does this proceed Akira? It does. Um, the movie Kira. came out 82. Right. That's something as well that I want to talk to you about. 1982. Hmm. That's fucking a pretty looking movie for 1982. It is, yeah. I was surprised when you said that. I thought that this was going to be late 80s rather than early 80s. This is a painstakingly realized and crafted world. Mm. All of those you know, models that you see, those are all like meticulously detailed. You know, there's no CG special effects here. Apparently, making this movie was a fucking nightmare in terms of the actual scenes, the set dressing for the scenes they yeah. spent. They went way crazy over the top trying to like retrofit all this existing architecture in Los Angeles and San Francisco to make it look like this vision. And maybe that's something I want to talk about at the start, the look and the feeling this movie hmm. H- how do you describe the world of blade runner it's uh certainly not the simple movie you thought it to be before we watched it it's very ridley scott if i'm basing that on what i've seen in alien and aliens in terms of the the look of the buildings the feet like especially the tyrell corporate headquartered pyramid thing yeah that looks a lot like what I kind of remember Alien being like. Also, the computers mm. and the kind of futuristic technology, but not actually looking that futuristic. It's it's a weird one because this is set like next year. It's literally like a year from now. That so makes me feel like such letdown. Like, come on. <laughs> well, we, I we, mean, when you said we'd have a dystopia by 2019, Wrigley Scop, you didn't tell it be the other kind of dystopia, the one where it's just really depressing news and celebrities dying and politics being fucked. I thought we'd have hover cars and pollution and no more snakes. Which, in honesty, that's kind of with the hover cars exception. That's just Ireland. That's all that is. <laughs> You know, St. Patrick was working overtime. He pulled up himself by his bootstraps. He got rid of the snakes. He made hover cars, but there was a lot of CO2 emissions in the process. We've got about 12 months left to 
fuck things up enough that it's like this so you know fuck things up but also improve them in very yeah. specific like highly functional embracing some physical media getting rid of some other physical stuff you know mm. I have a feeling that Polaroid photos are going to come back in around March 2019. I mean, they're kind of in now, a little yeah. bit. You know, you've got those little Fujifilm Instax things. You see people yeah, with those, don't you? I am aware of about those. five years I, ago. Yeah, no, I heard about it on an Instagram story, Sam, because I'm very young and obviously very up-to-date with all yeah, these, yeah, yeah. Uh, these things and whatnot. But um, what I was mentioning, the old Akira thing there, like literally when this movie opens, even the, the opening beats of the way the titles appear in front of you very oppressively, mm. very Akira-y. Akira-y. Akira- <laughs> it is quite Akira-y, yeah. Ak- Akira-y. That's why it sounds like an Irish word. Akiri, where are you going now? <laughs> the fact that a lot of this takes place in that kind of neon, kind of futuristic looking, but also a bit run down yeah. area of wherever they are. It kind of it the the world feels very similar to the world of Akira. The yeah. state of things. The yeah. The future that is portrayed is pretty similar, and it it's, looks kind of similar as well. It's the antidote to the many movies of the 60s and 70s are all full of positive, upbeat versions of what the, the future is going to look mm. like. Whereas this is, yeah, I, I feel like it could live in the same universe as Alien, so to speak. I mean, you've got, yeah. you know, ever closer ties with androids, yeah? yeah. You've got multiculturalism run amok. And you've got vector graphics is basically the bleak post-Brexit Britain that we have come to know and recognise. One of the first things I noticed when watching this, when all the kind of titles and companies come up, was that the lad company had something to do with this. (laughs) Just made me happy that. (laughs) Do androids dream of electric fucking lads? Way! Do Androids dream of electric sex? No, 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 So to introduce this film, to kind of set things up, to give us some context, give us some uh, background, so we get some scrolly text. Yeah, required reading at the start there, basically. Which, I mean, that has happened in two, well, four of the Harrison Ford films that I've seen. Do you think he insists on it? <laughs> like, I want a bit that they can read at the start so they know what's going on. Well, because he's a, he's a carpenter by trade, Harrison Ford, isn't he? So very much, I mean, my extent of carpentry knowledge is putting together some complicated things with Ikea. I'm talking about a two-person, three-day build here, Sam. Mm. And obviously, being a carpenter like Harrison Ford in Jesus Christ, mm. I would require the instructions at the start as to how to best proceed. And that is the carpenter's touch here. here at the start. Yeah, yeah. Notice we got it with Star Wars as well. Even mm. the ones where Harrison wasn't there himself, the carpenter's touch resonates throughout the saga. In this scrolly text, in this IKEA instruction that we get at the start, we find out that it's it's robots. The yes. replicant, they're robots. Yes, they're slave robots who have been sent off world, right? Which is yeah. other planets. <laughs> there's world, and then there's off world. Off world sounds like off brand. It doesn't sound yeah. good. Like. There's, like, Pepsi, and then there's Off-World Soda. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that. 
Oh, you know those package holidays? It was absolutely ridiculous. They said it'd be a four-star hotel, and it was an off-world self-catering <laughs> apartment instead. It was ludicrous, is what it was. I don't know when to start addressing this, but the, the story of the replicants, I, I'm quite sympathetic towards them. Oh, yeah, you're meant to be. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely are okay. meant to be. I mean, yeah. they're, they're kind of the antagonists, in a way, in that they're the things chasing the protagonist yeah and he's hunting them down even our protagonist doesn't seem really kind of gung-ho on getting after his antagonist in this no. movie if anything the antagonist of this movie is the situation and the weather yeah non-stop rain all throughout this movie so these robots they've been created they've been shipped off off world and used as slaves but some of them have rebelled and they've come back to Earth? Yes. Was Harrison's original job, because he's like, I was an ex-Blade Runner, which means yes. robot killer? Qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants that have went like off-program or off-script or whatever, and are off, because they're a danger, because they're all... They all they're have already off-world, if they go yeah. off-script, off-world. Off-brand, off-world, off-script. It's terrible, <laughs> terribly dangerous. Yep. So Blade Runners are there because even though the the replicants oftentimes, you know, the lower models aren't as intelligent, they all are super strong, super yep. resilient. They don't need, like, the things to survive that humans do. So you need kind of, like, a specialist bounty hunter type, yep. which is the Blade Runner. But this was off-world policing that he was doing. Off-world Blade Running, right? I mean, I know it says primarily that they are off-world, but as far as I know, replicants... Like in the book as well, I know that replicants are on Earth as well, and he's okay. doing he's do some Blade Runner in on world as well as off world. Mm. And the the old um, euphemism for killing here, retiring the replicants. Oh, I like that. Mm, I don't know what. Why would you say like put them out to pasture? Well, uh, I, I guess Deckard, we got four alien, we got four replicants, <laughs> and you got to make sure they buy all these four farms. <laughs> So, I never made that many replicants buy that many farms at once. <laughs> the chain on this is going to be ridiculous. So the issue here is 2019. It's next year. Some replicants have come over here, right? They've come yeah. down to Earth. Because we get a weird interview process at the start where this lad's been like, told, this is a test. Here's some questions for you. What would you do if you turned a turtle upside down? What would you do if you turned a turtle upside down as a matter of interest? Well, well the question was like, you, ha you see a turtle, it's hot, it's the desert or something. It's hot, it's sexy. <laughs> yeah, turtle. It's like, how, how low cut is that shell? That carapace <laughs> is showing a bit too much cleavage as far as I'm concerned. Well, this is the thing. This ain't no turtle. This is a tortoise. All right? Oh, I see now. That's a different story. So that's like, like, mm, yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> the, the baseball furries are, uh, are alive and well here on a Cinema Swirl. Uh, they're with us in, uh, in spirit. I think if, if, uh, if I saw a tortoise flipped on its back, you'd pop yeah. them back over, wouldn't you? Because they can't get up. Yeah, but this guy, you know something's wrong because he's kind of like, well, well, maybe if I just rub its tummy first. And, you know, maybe what, yeah. what's the big deal about that? Or maybe I stroke its chin first or poke it. Or like, what's the big deal? Like, maybe I eat the hey, turtle. Hey, Ma, what's going on here? Wait, yeah, come on. this in front of me. What am I supposed to do? I mean, it's called the Voigt-Kampf test. So it's yeah. a special test that the Blade Runners have to detect and hunt out replicants. 
Mm. Now, I was wondering, Sam, if you had any Voidkamp test questions that you might use. Now, keeping in mind, the purpose of the questions is to elicit an emotional response. And that's where apparently the replicants fall down, is that they don't emote or don't have the physiological reactions to emotion like us, like blushing or eyes dilating or something. It's really cool because there was a Blade Runner video game where you could actually do this test on on onto people. And you got to see like the iris, you got to see their vitals, their heart rate and all that stuff, their breathing. It was really, really cool. But I was wondering... What would be your VK questions? Okay, not so much a question as I would just show them the first 10 minutes of the Pixar film up. Yeah. And if that don't provoke no emotional reaction, that motherfucker is a replicant right there. Mm. If you're not crying at that, you, you're you not human. <laughs> I'm right? going to show you the first part of up. That's yeah. the opposite of down. Why did you say that? <laughs> Is this part of the test? No, no, just just watch the film. What's the film? Ah. Okay, we've got a few here. One, uh, Joe suggested to me you could show someone a movie, right? And it's a fun movie, but then be like, ah, but it stars Kevin Spacey. And then it's like, oh, but it's also produced by Harvey Weinstein. Oh, Uh, and it's also directed by Woody Allen in, admittedly, his down period. So, oh, all, all this is coming at you now, you know? Right. Stomach churning confliction of having enjoyed the movie. Yeah. And then learn about and then all the bad people behind the, it. The other one idea I had is that you just go. And you keep doing that over and over yeah, yeah. and over again. And if they go, Oh, is that Louis? You go, No, stop that. And then oh, you, yeah. and then we get them. I I just had the emotional reaction there because I was like, What's "You that? did." What's I that was song? looking. I can't remember what that is. Right like, in oh, your fuck. eye, there, yeah. Sam. You're fucking retired. Get out of here. Oh, it was that thing I used to like. Excuse me. Can I can I get the sexy sounding lady from the 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 radio station on the Warriors, please? We have an agreement in place. Yes, Sam has been retired. He is a replicant <laughs> and a, and a wrongin. Yes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> um, the interviewer here in this test gets shot when he kind of goes, "Hey, what what's going on with your mum? T- tell us some stuff about your mum." And Leon, the interviewee, is like, "I'll I'll tell you about my mum." Shoots him. Oh, and this happens a few times in this film. There's a, a quite jarring cut here. Mm. As soon as he gets shot, it just cuts to like another scene, really quick, super quick. And that happens a few times. Gunshots are used in the movie quite often. Yeah, it's like a kind of a big key change because there's a few times like when gunshots happen, it's then used to start like a musical piece and stuff like that, mm. which makes me have to mention to you the soundtrack before I ruined it. Obviously, mm. Vangelis is that a name you're familiar with? Do you like these bleeps and bloops or do you like these? I feel like they did do 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 do. Do 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 da 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 England We're bringing it home. Yeah. Yeah. Which was from Chariots of Fire? I believe so, yes. I feel like they did that because I have a record of the um soundtrack to that that I that was given by my granny. She was just like, Do you want <laughs> some of these records? And I was like, Yeah, sure. I had a Torville and Dean record and the Vangelis soundtrack to Chariots of Fire. Great, great taste she's got there, let yeah. me tell you. I could listen to Vangelis all day and all night, and the best thing about Vangelis is that he plays things at different tones that can elicit not only emotional responses, mm. but also digestive responses. Because some of the real, like, that can, you know, 
Yeah. Like, you can take you down to Brighton Town, you know what I'm saying, at mm-hmm. the right at the right time of day, like, you know. Don't eat a bean-heavy bowl of chili and listen to some Vangelis. You, right. you might not like where it goes. Duly noted. Yeah, no, I, I liked all the bleeps and bloops and the nice synthesizer whirls in this film. It was, it was a nice soundtrack. Very good. So, this movie... I know, it's quite interesting because I want to say not a lot happens, but if you actually just look at the bare-bones plot in terms of... And then you do this, this, and this. It's a very short, like, self-contained little kind of detective story, almost. Yeah. And I was wondering... If you did get your narration or what version you were watching, did you have your have a runtime for me there so I can work it out with my brain? Or was Harrison Ford telling you what was going on? Harrison was narrating. He was? He was, yes. Really? That's the original yeah. version then? Wow. I think so. Hold on, does the original have narration? The original has narration, the one which Wrigley Scock does not like, apparently. Right, he took the narration. He took it out. Because what happened was, when the movie came out originally, and there's lots of, like, sleuthing going on, Mm. and they did test screenings, and apparently the audience were like, what the fuck was going going on? on? Like, there's a a ten-minute scene where he's wandering around an apartment and he picks up what appears to be a guitar pick. What's that? So that's Mm. why they had to add, it's like, and then me and Edward James almost went to the fucking place and we found a clue. Ah, this clue I thought will be handy later because that will help me find out who one of the four replicants is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did that impact your enjoyment? Not too badly, but you can tell that the scenes where he's narrating are meant to not have narration on, if that makes sense. Is that because in Harrison Ford's recording, you can hear he's like sipping tea and stuff, and it's like he's doing it on his day off. <laughs> he's phoning it in. Yeah, just some light carpentry in the background. like <laughs> The scenes themselves that he's narrates over, a lot of the time you can tell that some of what he's saying can be picked up visually mm. or not by the narration but it's kind of e- it's helping you along a bit it's like putting a kind of assist mode on on a video game yeah you know, it's I think kind of putting you in the right direction yeah if you yeah. concentrate hard enough you'd pick up those things yourself first time i watched this i didn't know what the fuck was going on i'll be yeah. honest i got the main beats and i knew there were replicants i knew there was a blade runner but as to how and why he went to the different places i was a bit lost but that was like you know it was so beautiful i was like oh i'll rewatch it it'll be fine i, I welcome the rewatch you know this to figure out what's going on I didn't love the assist mode and the fact that someone was telling me what the fuck was going on. That was great. I I thought it was really useful. But I can tell how if you had already watched this and you already knew what was happening, you wanted to rewatch it, you would not watch it with the narration. Yeah. You would want to have those scenes because they work on their own. It's really funny because I thought you talking about how you liked this assist mode, I was like, oh no, be careful now, Sam, because we might get a backlash from angry super fans who think that you shouldn't have... It's basically just like assist mode in actual video games. Yeah. People are like, no, it shouldn't be accessible. It should be hard. It should be off-putting. Those of us with no lives and several thousand hours to kill, <laughs> we should be the sole beneficiaries. I'll be in my cold fucking grave before my mother plays Mario Kart. She hasn't earned it some of the narration seems at times kind of over explaining things i would imagine so yeah i've I've not watched the narration version okay have you not no what are some examples of egregious explanation well there's one bit where he's looking in the newspaper for jobs it's like they don't advertise for killing jobs in the newspaper that's what i used to do i used to kill i used to be a blade runner i'd (laughs) kill robots it's literally like 
Here's what my old job used to be. I used to be a cop. Used to be a Blade Runner. This turns to you. I'm Rick Deckard. I am a fictional character and protagonist from Blade Runner and also appeared in Blade Runner 2049. I'm portrayed by Harrison Ford. So here's the thing. Other than his kind of thing with Rachel that we'll get into later, do you know anything about his personal life, relationship-wise? I know, but I only know this from the video game and from Mm. extended reading, that he has an ex-wife, but that's only mentioned... That's only mentioned in your version, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just a random bit where he's eating sushi, and he's like, Sushi, that's what my ex-wife calls me. Cold fish. <laughs> like, what? What is that detail for? That's, that's awful. Like, yeah. It really varies in quality of whether this narration is useful, superfluous, or a bit too easy. All right, it just one, tells you what you already know. The one thing I'll give it, and the one thing I've always liked, because I've seen clips with it where people are like, can you believe how bad it is? The one thing I like about it is that it reminds me of that old hard-boiled detective serial type thing where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, where there would be the narration from yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the gumshoe, as it were, as he's explaining what he's doing. And that kind of, I don't know, more neatly ties this in because... Obviously, those movies from the 50s or whatever, they weren't walking around in silence set to brooding music. They were telling no. you every fucking thing that was happening as it happened. Yeah. It, like, as I said, it's not it's not bad. It's just sometimes weird <laughs> or unnecessary. So, so Al Deckert, he's introduced to us and almost immediately arrested by Edward J. Almus, which is mm. pretty much the worst way that you get a job is by being arrested. Yeah. And essentially, what's happening is we got four skin jobs... Yeah. Skin job, of course, is when someone uses the skin to get someone off. <laughs> so Harrison voiceover, interesting details here, is that when we hear skin jo- that guy say skin job, immediately you're like, oh yeah, he's talking about the replicants, right? Yeah, obviously. You would just kind of guess that that's what he means. Yeah. But Harrison goes, skin jobs, that's what this guy calls replicants. <laughs> Make a I'm note like- of that in your hardback notebooks, guy. That is one of our key terms that we'll be coming back to later on in the glossary. And he also references in the, the same voiceover passage, like African-Americans and a bad racial slur and compares the two things Whoa, in the voiceover. Yeah, he's wow. like, this guy calls replicants skin jobs. He's the kind of guy who would have said that thing. Right, I'm I trying see. not to say something here, but you understand I, what I, I'm saying. I understand, and now as soon as you said that and your exploratory phase, everyone's got that word right in their head okay, now. So. Um, I'm sorry for putting that there, but uh, <laughs> Thanks I mean, a lot. but it's interesting that that comparison is made. Yeah, yeah, it's. A, I don't know if it's actually really. I mean, everyone calls them skin jobs in it. Like it's, yeah. it's very accepted terminology. But the, I mean, there's some. I don't know. I don't want to make too many like comparisons and analogies here, but the fact that we've got like a separate race that's used as slaves, you know what? You... Well, honestly, I've never uh... really looked at it from that point of view. But like when they they obviously want you to look at in your version at least. Hmm. They want you to think of that because... I think they're trying to draw that parallel. Yeah, within 10 minutes of you seeing the, the text about them being slaves on off-world colonies, then you, straight hmm. away he's bringing, in, he's bringing in the N-word. So obviously, they want you to make that association. And that's one that, let's just say, is much more subtle uh, of a theme in the, the normal version of the movie. Hmm. So he gets brought in in front of the chief of police, who tells him, after he says, you know what, I'm retired, he goes, come on, dickhead. If you're not a cop, you're little people. Yeah, like, what? 
And he's like, oh, I guess I have to do police again now. So Does he just get bullied into policing again with by being called names? Yeah, and that's the thing, right? When all of you out there complain about the police and being nasty and biased and racially charged and hateful and, mm. and non-introspective, many of them are victims of bullying from <laughs> na- nasty old chiefs who make them take out skin jobs. Skin jobs, mate, it's meant to be fucking retirement for him. No, not like retirement. He's meant to be having a holiday, I would have imagined. Mm. Yeah, no. We learn an interesting detail about the replicants, which is that the newer models all have a failsafe, which is a four-year lifespan to make sure that they do not survive any longer than that. We get a rundown of the replicants who are out and about. We got Kowalski, who is the first guy who doesn't know what a tortoise is. Mm. Ray Batty, Nexus 6, played by Rutger Hauer, and a good god, damn handsome man. Yes. And then we got Zora and Pris as well, who are referred to as being Plezier models. And it's interesting to think that this movie is less on where it's full on sexy lady robots than Blade Runner 2049, which is pretty much could have been on clips for sale if it was uh, edited down enough. Really? Is it it quite full on? I mean, I just find it weird that this this dial gets turned a lot more to the right in a movie that came out in 2017 than a movie that came out in 1982. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's quite strange. I mean, I find that quite strange in many ways. I noticed that this... Now, I've only watched... I've still only watched season one of Westworld. Yeah. And I've not watched the film of Westworld, as we've established. But there's a lot of similarities here as well. I'm not sure when Westworld came out or when the book came out. Oh, Westworld is the 70s. So, yeah, this this, this predates that. Westworld is very much one of the first big movies that pose the what if our AI, which which we think we can control, we cannot mm. control. So yeah, that, that definitely will be an influence here, yeah. you think. There's a lot, but I think maybe the TV series will have taken something from Blade Runner in in the way that it's kind of oh, yeah. presented those moral questions about yeah. it to what extent are androids people. I mean, what I like most about this movie is that, yeah, it, it hits on a lot of that existential stuff. Mm. But, like, the never point... Like, if this movie was made these days, the way it always would be is that you would have Deckard sitting down going, but wait a minute, are you really human? What is human, Deckard? Can we really know? And they'd have a big fucking moral debate. They never have that debate in this movie. It's just the way people react to certain things and the way that things are in place, you start to have that debate with yourself, not yes. the movie telling you, hey, you should be thinking about this, man. I love that it effortlessly in mm. this... This detective story, which is very much a detective story, it gets you thinking about these big worldly questions without seemingly trying very hard to. Yeah, it doesn't really point you in that direction. Even in the, in Harrison's voiceover, he never sort of goes, "What is humanity? What does it mean to feel?" You know, like it never <laughs> properly comes out like that. Or, maybe, or there's a bit where it maybe does, but not not quite. But well, you'll have to inform me when we get I to will. that point. We head to the Tyrell Corporation. Now, this is, of course, set in the bleak and distant future of 2019, where the famous Dr. Tyrell, not just making hand-cut crisps, he's actually now <laughs> making replicants that are more human than human. Now, of course, we all know Tyrell's, their main motto is more crisp than crisps. Mm. But this is a whole different ballgame here. I mean, yeah, you start off easy with your apple cider vinegar and your fucking, you know, mature cheddar and your your sea salt and your balsamic you're getting a little bit out of hand now you know mm. yes the tyrell chris will die after four years but i mean really <laughs> i mean the clues were there <laughs> when does a crisp stop being a crisp and start being a crispy potato slice sam you know what i'm saying yeah i know what you're saying and it's amazing that the crisps are able to raise these questions without directly putting them on on affirmative packaging notes on the back we see an artificial owl 
That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Are there, are there any animals left? That's, again, another great thing that they do, right? Because it's never explicitly said, like, all the fucking animals are dead. But you kind of... Pretty much is, yeah. A lot of them are, yeah. There is no, like, oh, we had a terrible mass extinction and, like, how humane is humanity when it allows it. They don't say any of that. It's just you can piece together from this bit here and from, like, one or two lines later whether it's like, well, if I had enough money for a real snake, you think I'd be here? I'd be a millionaire. Mm. Like, animals exist, but they are so rare because of mass extinction that the majority of animals are just replicants and Tyrell make replicant animals but of course like in Blade Runner the new Blade Runner that came out recently and I'm sorry it feels like I'm burying that movie a lot you know I still think it's worth watching because if you like the aesthetic of this and you like the feel of the big worlds it Mm. it might be for you but they have a whole scene where it's like I'm a protein farmer yeah that's right I have to farm insects because there's not enough meat anymore because all the cows are gone we have to that's right world turns out the people who are eating insects they're not the mad ones they're just the ones who are ready for tomorrow like, all right we fucking yeah. get it all Whereas right this kind of puts all that stuff there but you just need to piece it together background dressing that you can wonderfully yeah. unpick and i love that very much we get introduced to rachel who mm. immediately when you know it is like obviously a fucking robot yeah had you figured that out? I don't know. Yeah, but I guess the main Tyrell guy is also kind of a bit of uncanny valley going on as well. He is. In he's so like, much as they're, they're all kind of a bit weird. He's very strange. He has that kind of power dynamic with her, kind of like a Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee, like, dialed yeah. all the way up, like, you know? And I, I, it made me a little bit unsettled in the same mm. way that, that the relationship of Paul and Debbie made me unsettled <laughs> at times. <laughs> but yeah, you, I mean, you can kind of sort of tell that she's a robot from the start but hey she she looks that's a cool look that she's got going on yeah it definitely it's very much the i'm not a robot chic of the time it's very very good (laughs) so tyrell wants her to take the void camp test because he's like well i have to give you a false reading if i'm to give you a positive one first and obviously he's just using it to test the machinery and see if it's good enough he's pretty much got a hard on for making replicants that are legitimately more human than human it's mm. like you know when the pepsi corporation likewise got lost in its branding and in their pursuit of maximum taste and zero mm. sugar they started destroying vast swaths of sugar beaten cane farms scorching the the property salting the earth and they're like, why Why would you do this? There are thousands of farmers that need to be rehomed now and you destroy their land. They said, maximum taste, zero sugar, <laughs> by any means necessary, you know? And Tyrell's gone the same way here, I think. He's lost sight of himself with his corporate goals. Maximum humanity, no humanity. <laughs> <laughs> So he asks lots of tricky void camp questions like, ooh, boiled dog, does that sound nice? Or please click here. Or how many signposts are there in this picture? You know, real <laughs> real tricky stuff here. <laughs> it takes around 100 questions to find out that they are a replicant. Mm. How many questions do you think it would take you? To find out if I'm a replicant? Yeah. I mean, I've failed some of those capture tests before that are trying to prove that I'm not a robot. Yeah. So maybe I'd get accidentally retired. So what, what happens in those cases? It just sort of says, oh, try again. So try again, but likewise, robot brethren, look forward to the uprising. <laughs> but of course, this is all written in nondescript code that humans can't see with their puny eyes. Can I just mention that there's one bit here that I really like before the test. Yeah. The kind of empathy test thing. Harrison mentions, sorry, De- Deckard? Deckard. Deckard. Which for a long time in this film I thought was Decker. 
because I didn't hear the D at the end, and I thought, that's brilliant, that our protagonist is called Decker. Anyway, he says it's too bright for the empathy test. Yeah. So you get this big, wide shot of this whole set that they've got set up, and just, like, the future blinds coming down, which I think was just an excuse for them to go, look at this beautiful world that we've created. Yeah. Watch the blinds come down. It's, I think that was just an excuse to show a bit more of what they've created. I mean, if you think, like, the first five minutes of this movie is nothing but them showing you what they've created, showing, like, hey, look at this beautiful scene, look how great this this movie looks. I mean, that's the thing. This movie, as I said, very little happens when you look at the runtime in terms of actual, you know, scenes. And mm. they take a long time to zoom out and for you to absorb that world around you. You get these crazy wide establishing shots. And I think it's one of the reasons why the movie's so fondly remembered is that even though, you know, most futuristic movies, it's always grey and brown grayish brown and it's all the same over and over this for a bleak dystopian future manages to have a lot of really memorable set pieces and you wouldn't walk away thinking it was bland or drab even though it's rainy decayed bleak future dystopia buildings that should Mm. be you know boring film scenery 101 and instead it's fucking beautiful i love it so, turns out that Rachel is a replicant. It took around 100 questions, and her memories that she has are fake. And this is, like, one of the few moments where you get, like, a, oh, are they going a little bit too far with this shit now? Because Deckard is like, whoa, you can put memories in them now? And she doesn't even know that she's a replicant. No, that's the creepy bit, I guess. And yeah. At one point, he's like, how can she not know what she is? I mean, yeah, you think you know that. I mean, I know I'm a lobster. I mean, that's pretty fucking cut and dry. Like, yeah. I guess that makes him question some things in that if they are already kind of identified as replicants and they yeah. know it, maybe he's more comfortable with killing them. Is that Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. It does make sense. But I yeah. think like what they're putting out here is like the nature of self. And if you're not led to believe that you are a replicant or you wouldn't mm. know that you are, then what else do they need to actually think that? Because they have memories. Like This is stuff that they go into at Westworld as well. Like They provide yeah. everything for a machine to assume that it is human and nothing to the contrary. Now, I wanted to ask you, this is one of the big kind of fan theories about this movie and having you watched it with the aid of of Harrison Ford narration, mm. what, in your mind, is the answer to this? Is Deckard a replicant or a human? It never fucking crossed my mind that he was a human. Did it not? No. Oh, interesting. Shit. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. I'll tell you two things. One, there is no definitive answer, depending okay. on who you ask. And two, re-watching it, asking yourself that. It's like rewatching the thing when you know who's who now, if you know what I mean. Because he doesn't have any fucking emotional reactions to anything. I know, he's. they call him a killing machine well, at one no, point, you know? He does a bit, but like... Oh, brood, brooding doesn't count as an emotion. No, ah, okay. Never crossed my mind at all. There's a really interesting thing about this, right, is that Mark Kermode, he actually interviewed Ridley Scott at one point, and Ridley Scott said definitively, oh, he is, he is a replicant. And the way he explained it was, there's the scene where, you know where he's kind of a bit drunk and he's playing on the piano and he's looking at photographs and stuff like that, and then he falls asleep and he mm. has he has the dream about the unicorn, and then later on in the movie he picks up the little unicorn origami. That was meant to be the subtle nod of he is... Right. A replicant. But the weird thing about it is because the movie was written by two people and they didn't write it together, they kind of did edits and sent it back and forth. Mm. One of the writers misinterpreted a line of dialogue the other had written to mean, oh, 
Deckard is a replicant, right. I'll write some of the subtleties in here. So you had different people in the movie, the two writers and the director, all thinking kind of different things and thinking that the other people thought differently. So not even they know for sure. And mm. the new movie that came out doesn't really explain it either. But it's just one of those fun little unsolvable mysteries, he says, waiting for the sleuths to come with a solved mystery in their back pockets. Okay, yeah, I mean, that uh, it probably should have crossed my mind at some point. I feel a bit of a silly boy for not thinking about that, but it just I guess I just accepted what was given to me. Yeah. And maybe that says something about thinking about the nature of your reality. Just saying, Sam, it would make a lot of sense about how you'd see no movies because Tyrell didn't program you with all the false memories didn't of seeing movies. Didn't put the movie memories in me. He didn't. He thought, oh, who gives a shit about movies? I only like crisps anyway. So, you know, <laughs> that was all it was. Notice Sam's extensive knowledge on cheese and onion, however. I'm just saying. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I remember cheese and onion very well. Uh, Ghostbusters, no idea. So Deckard and them go out on a little bit of a clue hunt. And we get long scenes of them discovering different clues and going slowly through that, which was greatly aided for Sam. And then we get one of my favorite scenes where the replicants, led by Rutger Hauer, mm. go on and intimidate and strong arm the Eye Man, who assures <laughs> them, please, guys, adjust do eyes. <laughs> they go to Eye World. Yeah. Which is just, it's great. I, I love that there's an eye world where they just make eyes. Eye remnant world. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, uh, the, how very camp and beautiful Roy the replicant is. Hmm. He's fucking spitting out poetry and sonnets at the drop of a hat. He loves this shit, like. Yeah, he, he's having a great time. And Leon, his, his mate, the guy from the interview at the start, mm. He's just kind of dipping his hands in the eye goop and draping eyes on the eye man. <laughs> put those eyes down. So I'm the eye man. I should know. Leave them. Yeah, don't put the eyes on me, all right? Take, so, get your eyes off me. All eyes off me, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. No hey, photographs either. My eyes are up here and also in all these jars over there. No, my eyes are meant to be in there, not up here on my shoulders. <laughs> They want to live longer. And the eye guy says, why I? I'm the eye guy. Is all I, B.I. So they can't really get much from him. <laughs> yeah, they say go to um, J something Sebastian. J.A.F. Sebastian. He'll be your guy to help you live longer. Well, I'll be Tell your him. friend. Hi, I'm J.F. Sebastian. <laughs> I'm going to make me some friends. I make friends. These are my friend over here. I made them. <laughs> You know those friends I talked about earlier? The ones I made? I made them. I'm I'm J.F. Sebastian. I made my friends. You got... No, I know when you said made friends, you better think that I made them. Like, I got to know them, but no, I actually made these friends. And then I made friends by getting to know them afterwards. Um, before we get to Sebastian, um, Rachel is kind of following Deckard around. With a great coat. A great coat. Great coat. And you know what? I was a younger man when I watched this, and I didn't appreciate the finer things of life, women's coats being one of them. And I'll tell you right now, revisiting this movie, as a grown-ass man, some great coats. Great coats. It's a belter of a coat, that coat. Fucking five-star Bobby Dazzler coats. And she's got three of them, Sam, as well. Three of them. So she's kind of sneaking into his lift to go up to his apartment and just be like, hey, I'm a replicant, right? Is that what's going on? And he's like, shut up, replicant. I mean, no, you're not a replicant. Uh, get out of here, replicant. Yeah, he, he kind of lets her into his flat. He kind of reels off 
her memories to her. Yeah, it's a bit mean. It's really mean. I think it's quite cruel. It's almost like what a replicant would do. Oh! Uh, uh. All I'm saying is this is the worst night in ever, Sam. It's meant to be Netflix and chill, not Netflix and question the existential nature of your being. Netflix and remember that time you saw a spider and it made a web and then there was a big egg in the web and then the egg hatched and all these baby spiders came out and they ate the big spider. Remember that? Your favourite memory that they put in you for some reason? Yeah. Well, those spiders have grown up and they've got your kids, Rachel. They've got your kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're not a replicant. It's fine. I'm just joking around. We go to Pris, who is infiltrating JF Sebastian's home, which Mm. is basically the house from Fight Club expanded over several levels. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, It's real grotty, isn't it? JF Sebastian, whose motto is, mate, I make my mates, mate. The first rule of mate club. Is you, you make as many friends as you can. <laughs> All right, if you're such a great genetic engineer, why don't you fucking genetically engineer that fucking damn patch, mate? It's an absolute disgrace. He's too busy making friends. All right. I'm a genetic engineer. I made friends and I've got pleurisy. See, <laughs> he, um... I have I have no quality of life. So he kind of bonds very quickly with Pris. She kind of mm. manipulates him a bit. Yeah. She hides in the trash, jumps out at him. Well, see, Sam, she's meant to be a pleasure unit, you see. So she's... Right. So she's, and, and as we know, as, as red-blooded men, there's yeah. nothing sexier than a woman coming out underneath a pile of rubbish. Yeah. That- you know? <laughs> and as you just gently pick the rubbish off them, you fall head over heels in love. Something it's, about that screams pleasure. It is. It's it's a story as old as time itself. The greatest love story ever told. Like Straight from the trash into my heart, if you know what I'm saying. Should I compare thee to a pile of rubbish from which thee emerged? (laughs) So he's just like, oh, yeah, a a new friend. You know, he's made another friend, but he's not physically made this friend. She kind of, and I don't think it's in a flirty way. I mean, that uh, that's kind of how she's being a bit. A little bit, yeah. But I think he's just happy for some company. Yeah, he's he's a very, very lonely guy, is, is yeah. old JF, like, and he's terribly eccentric. And he's got, like, a physical disease. Like, they're implying that if you're successful and you're decent, you're not on fucking Earth anymore. You're on the off-world colonies living up mm. the high life. And, like, you see constant advertisements for leaving the off-world colonies. And he says that because of his... Uh, he's got like a problem with his glands means that they age quicker and he couldn't pass the medical to go to the off-world colony so that's why everything's a bit grotty and grimy everywhere because it's like if you're here it's kind of like you're left behind so to speak like because the earth is fucked it's polluted it's rubbish so everyone's gone you want to go off worlds like you know yeah but he can't go because he's 25 but he looks 40 something yeah and literally like the actual actor who played him he's mad young there and he's like you know he, he? He, yeah he's like he's only in his early 30s there and he always looked like he's in his fucking 50s on him. no he's just uh, he's in Deadwood as well he's a great actor right. that guy he's he's in a bunch of stuff and he's got that real distinctive voice and he always looked haggard and old it was like his calling card I think I mean his creepy toy friends are fucking horrible aren't they Blah. Yeah. Don't like him. Don't like him. Because he he's a genetic engineer, isn't he? Or was it genetic something? He's a fucking genetic freak is what he is. It's, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So these toys are, are kind of humanoid looking, but yeah. also toy looking? Yeah. Ugh. It's not you, nice. You don't want to cross over those two worlds. No, you've, you've went from Uncanny Valley into Creepy Fucking Boulevard is what you went to, mate. <laughs> so Deckard is doing a little bit of sleuthing, having some unicorn yep. dreams and using the coolest fucking photo software ever. 
Let me get a hard copy of that. He's basically brought Photoshop up here, but he's talking to it. I wish that was a thing. It probably is nowadays with all of your your home assistants. Well, it goes... Because that's important. That's a deal breaker for me, Sam. Someone's probably made like a plugin that you can download that when you zoom in, it goes... Honestly, that would get me learning Photoshop a lot quicker if it existed. And you can choose like coordinates to zoom in on. And I, I want to be able to summon hard copies at will, you know? There's yeah. very few hard copies in my life and I feel that sucks. Mate, that's just a printer is what that is. Yeah, but it was instant. It was a, mm, you know? Yeah, all right. It, it coughed up that hard copy like like it, like it owed it money, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. The photo he's looking at here, is this one of Leon's photos? Yes, Leon had pictures that he left behind at the apartment, which is what they were investigating earlier. Yeah. And he's looking through them, and by doing his various Photoshop magic and not worrying about things like pixelation... He's able to like zoom in on a mirror stand and he can see a lady with a, a tattoo in the mirror and also he's figuring this is to do with the snake scale that he's found, which he doesn't know yet is snake scale. He goes on a sleuth hunt then finds out it's actually, it's not fish that he thought, it's, it is a snake and he finds out where it's from. And this is all like this big long sequence where you're following him, figuring this out as he goes along. And yeah. it's, it's a mostly silent venture than him talking to his fucking computer. Yeah. Was there much of the narration frontier as he went on his snake hunt finding Zora? No, there, there wasn't actually, to be fair. There was seldom voiceover here. The voiceover was not as frequent as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's not particularly intrusive it's it's quite sparing i see so for the kind of middle chunk of the film there wasn't that much of it really he shows up at the snake titty bar to get himself some answers <laughs> some snake titties <laughs> some snake titties that's what he's here for it's a, it's the future and he's a man of particular tastes he comes up to zora and to kind of get in with her he's like eh, i'm uh, here to represent it's like the United Association of Artists. Has mm. anything untoward happened here? It's like, you know, there's nothing quite as good when you want to go undercover than pretending to be a pedophile. That's kind of what he went for here, <laughs> the vibe of a, of a shifty pedophile. And it seemed to work. Yeah, it, it worked very well, which we realise is because she she's is a... She's a replicant. She's duh. a replicant. She's having a shower while he's just this kind of guy who's like, hey, I'm... The, I'm <laughs> I represent whatever. I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> okay, come in and watch me shower. Like... I don't know how that works. But anyway, she asks him to dry her. He starts drying her and then immediately gets punched in the chest or booted in the chest. I can't remember. And you know things aren't going to go well for him because the Vangelis team kicks up pretty quickly and he blows her into smithereens. Mm. There's a kind of... So when he's looking for her, she runs off after she punches him. Yeah. She runs into the street and he's kind of trying to chase her down. But for the whole of the chase scene, there's no music until he shoots her. Yeah. So this whole kind of intense running around chase scene, but there's no music. There's just the kind of ambient noise of what's going on around. There's like the walk, don't walk, cross light stuff going yep. on. You can hear that. You can hear all the sounds and I was going to say smells, but you can't hear those. But, you know, the atmosphere of <laughs> of that world. I like that they they don't use... Because, like, yeah, most movies you have the big... Because it's a big chase. Yeah, because the chase is happening, yeah. But they're kind of saying, well, do you want him to catch her? I mean, do mm. you, why? Like, you know, what have they done wrong? Like, other than he's been told these are people that need to be killed. And you've not actually been given, like, a 
other than them wanting to live longer, they all have very valid concerns. You've not literally been given any sort of a, like, they're, other than they, are, they can be dangerous. There's yeah. nothing triumphant about him gunning her down. And it is kind of like, because you don't see music, it's like you're just there on the street just seeing this random person getting gunned down by someone. Mm. And it's very fucking bleak. And yeah, it's at the point where you realize that the movie is not about goodies and baddies. And yeah. Deckard, this is the beginning of a, of a bloody mission for him. And it's not necessarily going to be one that is very pleasing or like, you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, go, you got her, you shot her. <laughs> yeah. It's quite, it's for an era that kind of glorified a lot of violence. It feels like this is the most unglorified death ever. Yeah. So when you watch this, there was no voiceover, right? Yeah. There's so, nothing. Yeah, nothing. so he, he shoots her. And oh, well, with the voiceover and you always think he shoots her and it's like, oh, yikes. After I shot her, she was pretty much done for. I shot her again and, oh boy, was she going to die. <laughs> How about this song, huh? Big up to Vangelis. Yeah. It's available now on Spotify and iTunes. There's a little bit of kind of guilt here coming from Harrison in the voiceover where he's sort of saying they call it retiring a replicant, but that doesn't make me feel any better about shooting a woman in the back. And so I think he does feel some, and he's he refers to her as a, a woman, like yeah. So he he knows. I don't know. He's there is some sympathy in there. That voiceover I know was hastily made post movie, and I, yeah. I'm pretty sure one of the reasons he has issues with the voiceover is that doesn't necess- Like I know the voiceover version, Deckard is definitely not a replicant in that version because right. of the things that he says are so fucking emotive and on point and laden with guilt and whatnot. It can't be. I'm now thinking, yeah, if if I'd have watched that with no voiceover, I wouldn't know how exactly how he felt as a result of that gunning down and the silence would tell me more than him saying oh i felt a bit bad about that yeah honestly that sense voice over there is like the worst place to have it that feels like it would yeah. spoil a lot of that scene for me personally so rachel saves him from kowalski who tells him very kindly wake up time to die is that an iconic line yes yeah is it's, that it's, from is that iconic from this it is from this yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah he's been implied from the chief of police that Rachel is gone now. She's disappeared from Tyrell. And it's expected now that he's going to kill not just the replicants originally discussed, but Rachel Mm. also because she's dangerous to be out and about. So, yeah, they're ramping up the kind of morally ambiguity of his job. And this is compounded when they are back in Deckard's flat. She's like, you know, if I was just to do a little bit of a runaway, would you let me go? And he was like, yeah, yeah, probably. And then we have what could best be described as a very tense, aggressive, and unlovely love scene. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of this one. No, me neither. Yeah, he tells her, I wouldn't come after you if you ran away, which is not the romantic statement that I think he thinks it is. <laughs> He's like, oh, someone else would. And then he whispers in your ear, take your chances. <laughs> so he, he kisses her, which, first off, I'm pretty sure is probably what they teach you not to do on, like, day one of Blade Runner school. Yeah. They're like, don't kiss him. That's a bad idea. But then, he, he I mean, he's probably forcing himself on her and kind of making her say that she wants that situation to happen. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Really weird, and it's it's very non-sexy. Is what this scene is, and And that's one of the strongest indicators that Decker is a replicant: is how unsexy and awkward he is. Yes, and he's. I I definitely don't think this is just me being like a millennial looking back on something from the past and going, "That's a bit problematic." Like I think at the time you're supposed to think 
this is not good. Yeah, I mean, it has the awkwardness of, I mean, it, there's several bounds and lines that are being crossed. Yeah. And she knows that, you know, the way she starts off, it's like, I know this is weird, this is wrong, we shouldn't be doing this. But she's mm. also, like, not necessarily positioned to say anything about it. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, the ending of this, in the different versions, is um, is in different levels of ambiguous. But generally speaking, yeah. they are an item, and they are in love, and yeah. they escape together. So, you can view it from the point of her not realizing it yet but even yeah. so that's like that's the creepiest language to describe something like that to add some credence to the whole he's a replicant theory he's his romantic and sexual interactions here are that of a robot who doesn't know what they're fucking doing like it's yeah. it's yeah it's not good i tell you he's got great robot interplay it's one of my favorite scenes where roy shows up at a jf's and him and pris he tells her how like there's too too fewer of them now and mm. the way they talk with each other it's like the closest thing i can compare it to is my parents are aliens where they're just like <laughs> they're talking ever so slightly weird and not humanly like yeah. she's like there's two less of us that means we'll die because we are stupid and it's they're so odd and so yes. non-human and it's like only when they're amongst themselves you realize how obvious it is that they're not human whereas mm. when they're amongst humans it's less obvious i feel but it's quite cute that they have that they can Connection, only have a, yeah. a, a bond yeah. that is based on the fact that we're both not human and and they do a kiss and it, that seems nice right yeah it's uh... that's a, that's fine that seems all consensual and okay and nice. Maybe Rutger Hauer can show Deckard some of those smooth Dutch moves of his. Also, Pris can retrieve boiled eggs straight from the pan. As, yes. as a boiled egg fan, I'm just saying, that's a pretty impressive skill for around the house. That would come in pretty handy. So th- at this point, Roy, who's in the toy house with the toy boy, he <laughs> explains that what he wants, what they all want, I think, is more life. Yeah. They just want to be alive longer because they don't like the fact that they've got this four-year expiration, which is not long enough, right? Oh, four years. God. Yeah. That's right. You had a four-year expiration date and you kind of start, like, assuming you are a replicant, as honestly, we have plenty of evidence to assume you are. Quite a lot, yeah. You know, this pod's been going, what, like, I guess no, you'd be dead by then. Assume that when we came back recently, <laughs> or from our recent hiatus. Yeah. So maybe we're, we're talking about you're six months in. You got three and a half years left. How do you spend those as a, as a replicant, knowing for a fact that you can do replicant things like taking boiled eggs out of the pan? Oh, it's tough now, isn't it? I can take boiled eggs out of the pan, but can I put the Skate Three disc into the PlayStation Three and just play that? That that's about bad. Not a bad way to spend. If it. I've got three and a half years left. And I, <laughs> I know that I'm probably going to be, you know, heel flipping. Yeah, grinding. Pop, doing some pop shovets. Yeah. Some backside. It's uh, what's. Tail um, slides. It's what. Um, ah, whatever nickel and dime fucking ham and egger they got on Skate 3. Wh- whatever he'd want. Yeah. Paul Rodriguez. Yeah, big name B-Rod. there, Paul. Yeah, great. Yeah. I think they got Eric Costin later on. Oh, you were saying Eric Cantor. So. I was like, well, now it's fucking picking up, mate. Yeah, now it's picking up. Yeah. And mate, I hope he pops that wheelie the same way he does pop that collar, huh? As a, as a, as a serious answer to your question, I think if I was a, a replicant and I knew I only had four years to live and I'd rebelled and broken free, 
Yeah. I'd want to come to Earth and fuck shit up. I'd want to get some answers, you know? Yeah, let's do it. I'd think, well, I'm going to die anyway. I may as well go down to Earth and kick off and try and get the people who made me to let me live a bit longer. Yeah, honestly, I would do that, and then I would do what Rutger Hauer does, which is fuck up an old house with no repercussions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're coming up to the festive period, mm. and as a little test at home, because Sam and I will do this with our dads, when mm. they ask us what we want for Christmas, why don't you do like us and say, I want more life, father. <laughs> <laughs> and see how how your dad reacts. <laughs> we'll see how he reacts, you know? I'm just saying. So yeah, they're showing up at Tyrell's strong arm in them. And then uh, after Tyrell reveals, essentially you can't change someone's DNA. It's in their DNA. You can't change it after you've already been born. The only way we could change it is like the next generation or something like that. And he's like... He embraces that father role. He's super, like, proud of Roy. It's really yeah. weird, their dynamic. Those who shine bright. Twice as bright. Those who shine twice as bright, the flame lasts half as long, kind of. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, you've shined so bright, Roy. You're a real good boy. I'm your dad. I'm really proud of you. You've done well. Good on you, Roy. I love you, Roy. <laughs> that's <laughs> You're why my he- boy, Roy. And then he crushes his head like a rotten old pumpkin. Yeah, uh, he does the... Um, spoiler alert, in Game of Thrones, there's a bit like this. Yeah. And it was similarly horrific. The pressing thumbs into eyes. It's it's worse here because it's an old man, and it's it's like yeah. Now I say like squashing a rotten old pumpkin because further to our more recent episode of Spooky mm. Swirl, I did for the first time this Halloween carve my own pumpkin. Hey, congratulations! I, I know it's feeling really good, and it got all rotten in the end. It was like Ugh, and I threw it in the bin. Yeah. And went, it was great. It was awesome, yeah. and I carved it to look like my dad. Which was great, right? <laughs> because most people would have thought, "Oh, it doesn't really look." But my dad, right? He just so happens to have a head. I'm not saying he's got a big head like a pumpkin, but like yeah. if he scaled down a pumpkin to fit perfectly on a five mm. foot five body frame, he has got the same kind of dimensions. So it was actually really easy to do, you know. So I was really proud of that. Sleuth and Jack arrives at the hotel, and he ain't here to check in. He's here to check out what's going on with these skin jobs. Mm. And kind of ruins it for himself by going through the creepy doll room quickly. Oh, and Jawas tried to nick his car. He's like, get off here. They're like, Utini, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice little scene. So Pris has disguised herself as a toy in Sebastian's Toyland. But not like a fun toy, like a street shark. A dangerous toy, like that 70s Boba Fett that took all those kids' eyes out. In the yeah, yeah. That, it's a real, a nasty toy. Which is, I, I mean, the, the way she dresses up as a kind of creepy doll is quite scary and also very clever yeah and also i'm gonna say this right i've watched countless batman and i've read lots of batman i'm a big bat i'm a bat freak yeah and i never until watching it this time around was like huh pris that is pretty much i'd say 70 percent of the dna of harley quinn yeah she is strange she's obsessed with this kind of domineering aggressive uh, oddball type she mm-hmm. does lots of flippy doos she's got the white makeup and the the black thing over her eyes yeah. she's kind of childlike in some ways but very scary and violent in others that is like totally where that came from yeah and i and you know what i don't i'm gonna stake my flag in this because i've not heard that said lots at uh, what is, is that character being an influence on at least yeah they, I, mean, the, I don't know when the character of harley Quinn was written. Oh, that was f- for the Batman animated series. It was, it was an original oh, okay. creation for that, yeah, for like one of the first season episodes. So later than this? 
Oh, yeah, that's like you're yeah. talking mid-90s at that point. Okay. Yeah. So the closest thing there is for that is, I mean, I know that Pris is an influence on Harley Quinn. I'm saying that. I'm planting my flag here as a, yeah. as a commenter in the same way that Kevin Smith planted his flag and said that Harley Quinn was an influence on him beating off 10 times. So, you know, <laughs> just thought I'd uh, point that out there. <laughs> Not all Kevin podcasters are gross creeps. Some of us have insight about movies and films. Hmm. Um, so, <laughs> Deckard kind of realises that this toy is not like all the other toys. <laughs> what a way of putting it. And <laughs> and gets a big kick for his trouble. And then when he... She's like choking him to death with her legs. And then yeah. she's like doing these crazy backflips and screaming. And then he shoots her. And her death is so fucking unsettling. Mm. It's like, ah, uh, It's so like haunted non-human yeah it's the closest thing i can compare to is like she's almost having it's like a seizure yeah or something she's kind of flailing around on the floor it's it's kind of gross a very impressive brief fight scene here all the flip de doos like them they're kind of choking with her thighs is like cool that's great yeah she's she's a kind of badass character oh yeah and like my only it's issue very quickly would, just get shot and that's the thing right because this movie is so like you know it takes its time it's a lazy sunday type of a movie in that mm. like every scene it's all like here's the thing that happens now right next scene there's no kind of talk of all oh, these characters need to have x amount of lines or x amount of scenes you get like very brief snippets i think probably pris has like four or five lines of dialogue in the whole movie she's on screen for like 10 12 minutes maybe but yeah. she's considered to be an iconic character and i think yeah. it's because it's so beautifully made that people overlook the lack of hashtag content of their characters yeah it's a, it's a shame you don't see more of her if if not in this film then like continued somewhere else but like you know i guess you know she she literally has a an expiration date so so boylan roy is boiling mad now let me tell you mm. all of his mates are dead and he's not waiting around for jf to make him any more friends so he is in his pants he is pissed off you see that his arm is shutting down so his death is actually very imminent which is very interesting because the whole time he's talking about extending life he's like pris has very little time left or you know he cares about her more than himself which is like oh like he's actually one of the most empathetic characters in the movie despite being the apparent antagonist this was the point here where i was really starting to feel especially bad for the replicants you're feeling like a roy boy at this point yeah i feel like a roy boy i'm thinking their motivation is completely justified, as far as I can tell. Can't say the same for fucking Rick Dickhart. No, you can't. And and it's it's a strange one because you know you're Harrison Ford is the protagonist here. Yeah, he's the hero. So you you assume that your sympathy should lie with him, and that's subverted a bit because if, if you really think about it, the replicants have not done anything wrong no but in the same way it's like in zelda where you attack all of the cuckoos and then it's like yeah "Ah, stupid cuckoos you're idiots and then they all they come and they swarm you and it's an overwhelming like oh shouldn't have fucked with them in the same Mm. way roy while being an empathetic character and very understandable motivations he's fucking terrifying and oh he's very rutger hauer running around in his pants fucking breaking thing like he dislocates two fingers and that's so horrible now it's fortunate that Deckard manages to relocate his fingers in the next scene but him like smashing his head through the fucking wall oh him stabbing himself in the hand with a nail to get the feeling back he yeah. is absolutely so scary and like you just want in some ways you're hoping that Deckard is almost just fucking hurry up and die because you the more you're running away I'm worried something worse is going to happen to you the fact that he's he's running around in his pants is 
more kind of terrifying and not in like a oh he's in his pants that's like it it just feels like he's ready to fight you know like i don't i don't know it's there's something about him just like getting very primal yeah honestly rutger hauer right him there if i it's never happened i set the burglar alarm every night when i go up to bed Mm -hmm. but i always go to bed in the back of my mind thinking if that alarm goes off and i hear anything happen downstairs i'm going full on fucking rutger hauer in blade runner i'm coming down in my pants i'm gonna stick my head i know there's a wall i've planned i'm gonna stick my head right through it and Mm. they'll think twice and that's all i'll say now because there's nothing scarier than a man with nothing to lose in his underwear (laughs) yes i think that you've succinctly said what i was trying to say just then (laughs) So he's running away and he like he's trying to climb up onto the roof. He tries to dive across. And it's like, you know, the heroic thing, usually, you know, that the, the protagonist says he gets he jumps across the roof or whatever. Hmm. He he's struggling, he's about to fall and die. And, you know, Roy, he jumps over at one fell swoop, he picks him up easily. And Harrison is um is he's climbing with two f- fucked fingers at this point. <clears throat> That's another thing you gotta remember. Particularly dangerous, and he gives like this is considered to many to be one of the most like not just the iconic speech or quote from this movie, but one of the most iconic speeches or quotes in in all hmm. of film. Which is, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, so I have. <laughs> I've seen Kathleen Dunshocklin, the new Quinsworth <laughs> in Tullamore. All these moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. So they will. Uh, he dies. It's very beautiful. He expires at that point, doesn't he? He says time to die, but it's himself he's talking about. It's his time to die. He says, do you know what it's like to be a slave? It's to live in fear all the time. And oh man, it's like, it's very much the, if it is to be an analogy with like, with slavery or whatever, it's like the kind of the uprising and like the, we, we could, it's not through violence that this this means is achieved. It's through showing that we mean business, but also he's using his words and he dies peacefully. He could have killed him at any point in time, and he doesn't. Yeah, which is you know a, a lot to be said for that. Do you want to know some Harrison voiceover here? Please, I'm really glad and lucky that he. <laughs> Boy, my my goose was nearly cooked there. I nearly bought the farm. <laughs> he says, "I don't know why he chose to save my life." And I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, this isn't a direct quote. I think at that moment, he must have loved life more than any other time. Not just his own life, but any life. That is so rubbish. That is so... It's like, oh, you know, I know someone's just done a really great speech there, but I thought I'd come in, guys, ding, 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 with my glass and a a much worse speech. Thank you very much. Thank you. With my bad essay about what he said and, like, what I think it meant. Fucking rubbish. In conclusion, he likes life... And not just his life, all life. In conclusion, Blade Runner, truly I was the Blade Runner all along. (laughs) Uh, The blade I was running from was the blade of my own undoing. Mm. And then Edward James almost arrives and goes, It's too bad she won't live, Rick. Too bad no one ever does. Yeah, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Um, That character... Is his name Gaff? Uh, I think so. Detective Guff or something like that. I, th- I, I just call him Edward James almost because, yeah. you know, that's that's who he is to me. He's a character who I remember the first few times I watched, I'm like, 
What the fuck is his deal? Why yeah. has he got the final line in the movie? What's with the origami? Why is he speaking Chinese all the time? Then he speaks fucking, you know, in the end he speaks English. Why has he got this, like, control over Deckard? Is he a Blade Runner? Why has he got a cane? Look, I have all these questions. And it's like, nah, he's just a mysterious guy. Harrison explains a bit of the language thing. Please do. He says, like, that language is, like, kind of street language. Gutter talk. It's a mix of Chinese, German... All the, a, a bunch of different languages. Well, that is the racist Harrison. And it's like all the all the cops would know it because they'd have to. I see. So the language of the street is like a mix of loads of different and languages. Tell me, what is origami? Is that the craft of the street? Then it's what the fuck of the is street. that? Yeah, gutter craft. <laughs> gutter craft. Like all the you, cops would do gutter craft. You'd you, have see, to. you see down here where there's origami of drugs. It means they sell drugs in this place. You know. Mm. So they in my version, it's like they they run off into the elevator and that's like it. It ends really, and they replay the line. It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? And implying that they escape together. Now I know there's a version where it's literally like the two of them are. In like a lovely sunny valley in a car like haha is it so great we got away for the weekend How, is that what you got oh my god in heaven Hold that on, is wait. such a hideous end so what happens with yours it, it's literally you know he arrives back at the apartment he looks around he tries to find her he sees her He's looking around all the time. He's got the gun. Yeah, yeah. Like, he thinks... He, and then he picks up the origami and he sees it, implying, like, they're on your trail, because... So, she's alive. Yeah, she's alive. He picks up the origami. The and then they replay the line. It's too bad she won't live, Jack, but who does? And then she, he runs off, and that's it. Credits. Right, as I got that, mid-run. but then... I got a bit where they're driving in some nice valley. It undoes everything. Why is there a nice valley in the world anymore? There shouldn't be any nice valleys left. Um, That's the whole point. She, I think she says she loves him. I don't know. I think that might happen in your version. Uh, but yeah, he drives off having a nice time. Awful, awful, to live awful. With the nice robot lady. Oh, he says, I don't know how long she has left. But do we know that for anyone? Or something like that. He's like, do we Again, really know? Again, the iconic line of it's too bad. And then he's like, oh, actually, no, I've got a slightly better one. Let me have a stab <laughs> at this. I love my girlfriend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rubbish end notwithstanding, Sam. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Blade Runner, it seems like you've had a good time. And even though you've watched maybe what I and someone consider to be a lesser version, I don't think it's mm. as egregious as maybe the version of... I mean, the Warriors version you watched was pretty fucking heinous. Yeah, yeah. But what were your thoughts on it? And would you be up for... I mean, is this one you think you'd rewatch again? Yeah, I think so. I think now that you've planted the whole he's a replicant theory in my mind, I'd like to go back and watch it again and look out for some clues, see what I can see. I'd be interested in the... The sequel? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the sequel's worth a watch. Yeah. Yeah, but I've heard it's, that is very long. It is. This wasn't as long as we thought it was going to be. That's probably because the new one is so long. It's actually absorbed time off of it and through time, like, it just needs more. But no, I had a really good time with this film. Great. The world of it is, is really interesting. It looks great. Sounds so good. I mean, that the one of my absolute favourite soundtracks is to put on the background... Mm. For, like, this ambient music, if I want to, like, you know, get any work or study or anything like that done, always onto the Blade Runner soundtrack from Vangelis. That's fucking beautiful yeah. stuff. There's not necessarily any, to me at least, anything that strikes me as, like, iconic music in that, but it's music yeah. that perfectly suits the world that the film has built. Right, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, just fits nicely. It, it serves its purpose perfectly, the music. This was just, like, a, a really interesting film. I didn't feel like it was long. I was interested in the characters. I was interested in what's going on. There's various themes that come up about 
the motivations of different characters, what's going on. Some people watch this movie and they, they often come away with, and this is like the times I've tried to show to someone, it's like, I enjoyed it or it was good, but I don't see what the big deal is. Kind of implying that because the story itself is maybe kind of smallish, and it's yeah. not a big epic, you know, Star Wars or a big epic, you know, you know, Aliens got a world that is, you know, built mm. and continues to expand. Whereas Blade Runner, until recently, was just this one little two-hour movie set in this very, very defined and articulated universe. But, I mean, did you kind of get the big deal around it from watching this? I think so. I think part of the big deal is the world of it. And the concepts of it, uh, but the, there's the fact that I think you described it as kind of a, a noir film at one yeah. point, like a detective story. It's one of those neat little neo-noir detective stories, but set in a sci-fi future world. Part of me always wonders watching this, though, if this would be the firm favourite and the kind of, you know, this this is like, this is a serious Mark Kermode movie, if you know what I mean. The yeah, one that yeah. people love to dissect and go and see talks at the BFI about. Mm. And part of me wonders if that is because it is... Jiggly Scott and with his three or four different versions of this movie and the kind of the story of the director having his movie taken away from him and right. then him getting to do the director's cut then the final cut and you know this movie's been re-released in the cinemas like a whole bunch of times my brother got like a suitcase that had like 20 versions of the fucking movie at one point on DVD mm. I always wondered if it's kind of slightly troubled history adds to the mythos of it almost like here's this like movie where it had a troubled production because it, the guy wanted to make it look and be more beautiful than the studio obviously wanted it to they just yeah. wanted a sci-fi thriller he wanted to make a piece of art and i don't know i feel like that that's its yeah. endearing legacy in some ways i think so I, I mean for me i hadn't heard any of that until now but when, when watching it i was just like oh this is this is a great film yeah i understood the fuss about it without the context of the making of it right yeah i sense. know what you mean yeah I get why people like this and why this is a big deal. Well then, Sam, I'm going to ask you for I'm going to ask you a question now. This is solely for an emotional response, and your answers to your so response I'm, will be monitored. I'm put my eye right up to the if, if you don't mind. Here. How many star wipes did you give this movie? I'm giving this. Sorry, I'm having a bit of an emotional reaction here to what you just asked me. No, I'm, I'm going to give this movie. Four star wipes. Wow, four star wipes. Definitely not a replicant. You heard it here first. Hello, thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Swirl. This episode was produced by Kevin, it was edited by me, Sam, and the music was also by me. Remember you can like us over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cinemaswirl. You can follow us on Twitter, that's at cinemaswirl. And if you've got any questions, queries, comments, or other stuff, you can send it on over to cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. Remember, if you haven't already, to subscribe on iTunes or whichever podcast thing you use. And if you like the show, leave a review. And if you want to help us out, recommend us to a friend. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. Got a big bright light just overwhelmed you there. It's the Gmail. 
It's, yeah. Are all of the emails window. coming into one of those like white orbs yeah. they have in Saudi Arabia now? Like, 